Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattleage Broadcasting premiere podcast. Damn you, Hollywood! And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! Yay. Ah. Ah. Yeah, uh, look, we're wearing headphones. I can't do the full Kermit. Otherwise, I would. <laughs> Hello, everyone. As Mark just indicated, this is Damn You Hollywood. And tonight we are discussing the latest James Wan feature, Malignant, which I kind of made Mark do, and I Thank don't goodness. feel badly. Kind of, a little bit. If you want to make, if you want to believe that about yourself to make yourself feel better, that's fine. I threw this on. I accommodated you, sir. <laughs> yes. I saw James Wan horror movie on a on a week on a week that there was nothing else out, and I'm like, Robert likes the horror because he's nuts. Let's do more bit. horror. <laughs> so Look, here we are. That, that's kind of what I mean. Like you did this because of me, not because of you. Yeah, I miss the old days where we did everything I wanted to do and nothing you wanted to do. But I hey, do. <laughs> compromise. Me, I know you do. <laughs> I, I know how much you miss those days. Like a next week we're doing a Western. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, this is a rough month for you. You ain't Where's my... <laughs> where's my Hollywood? Where's my big? Where's my big stupid popcorn movies? Where's my I, passive? But e but even the big passive stupid, viewing experience. But even like the big stupid action movie was a kung fu Chinese fantasy movie. So I got that shit. A little bit. Then little and bit. then I got this weirdo bonkers horror movie. Next you week I got. To, <laughs> you don't have to air quotes the bonkers on this, Mark. We all get it. <laughs> and then I got you know the, the sad cowboy movie. And uh, God, what's after Sad Cowboy? Um, after oh, Sad, after Sad Cowboy, I oh, was nothing actually. It's a, it, it, I don't have to deal with anything. But I got to take my daughter to go see. Um, I got to take my daughter to go see Dear Evan Hansen. So, no matter what, September is the worst month ever, and we should ban it from existence. Why are you taking your poor child to see Dear Evan Hansen? Because she wanted to. Apparently, something about that movie and the music within has reached her. And she's seen the trailers for it. And she was like, Dad, it was two things. One, she was like, we need more daddy-daughter time. Um, okay. We need to just kind of do stuff, me and you. And I said, okay, but your brother wants to see everything, including the things he doesn't want to see because he doesn't want to be excluded, a.k.a. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which is a whole other story. Uh... Um. But, uh, you know, she was like, well, what about Dear Evan Hansen? And I'm like, you're right. Your brother would never see that. So I'm taking her to see Dear Evan Hansen. And neither would I, but I love you. So I will. <laughs> yeah, I was like, don't... can I interest you in a porn, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to go see this. Um, oh, I not yeah. take my daughter to see a porn. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop on that sentence. <laughs> I I looked askance. That's that's as good as I was, it's I was waiting. I was waiting for you to go. Well, maybe, and then drop a title. <laughs> maybe Flesh Gordon because it's a classic. Yeah, you happy? <laughs> oh no, no, I am not. Now that I because I, it took me a second to realize what that's a parody of, and ugh. <laughs> it's half waiting for you to jump on my tweet today about uh, somebody asked. Like your thoughts? Oh, you did see. Okay, but you're just not jumping all over my tweets anymore, which I appreciate. I decided to let that one pass. <laughs> Sweet. All right. So, malignant. All right, so, 
Malignant, yeah. We put this on the schedule because there's nothing else, because Mark yeah. was trying to be a good friend and a good sort of boss. To the person who called me out for not being a horror person when I talked about this on TikTok, I am trying to, for one, stretch myself as a reviewer, broaden my horizons, and be open to things that other people treasure. Uh, and maybe I'll find some... And I have, and I actually want to talk about this when we get to the movie, but because you psychos have pushed me into the horror genre kicking and screaming. I have actually, I have actually found horror that elevates the medium and has, uh, and has a point of view, as I talked about with Candyman. And I have really enjoyed, and I have found the horror genre to be a worthy thing, um, a worthy thing to watch in terms of elevated film medium. And then I saw Malignant, and it was like watching a porn. So... <laughs> yeah, we... I, I want to talk a little bit about that when we get to the actual review of this, because you touched on a very, I think, salient point that goes into this movie. Mm -hmm. But that's how this wound up on the schedule for those of you going. But you guys never would. You know, th this is not. This is a little bit outside the traditional wheelhouse. Yes. Yeah. Wait yes, till later is, in but... the, wait till later in the year when we get to Nightmare Alley, and I and I, <laughs> I just hate myself. <laughs> well, you know, they've released some uh, promote some like uh, promotional footage from that already. So I. Saw I I tend to think that you'll find that a bit more enjoyable than you uh, mentioned at the moment. I was but thinking, we, uh, I was thinking about the early years of this, where like the one horror movie we did in like a three-year span was Crimson Peak, and I yeah. didn't hate that. So, yeah, we've been very slowly bringing you along in this particular respect. <laughs> hey, how did, I, how did I get down this dark alley? What happened here? <laughs> Only took us four years of effort. <laughs> Leaving little Reese's pieces on the ground for me to follow. Something like, okay, Mark, it's okay. Watch, look, this was an Academy Award winning horror movie. Why don't you give this a try? Here's Silence of the Lambs. Here's, a, you know, come on, come on, yeah, you know, come down this way just a little bit more, a little bit more. And we're, one of these days I will get you to watch Hellraiser, but not yet. Ugh, I've heard your Hellraiser review. It opens with someone being dismembered. Yuck. Eh, sort of. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm not uh, saying no. I'm not saying I, no. I know. Look, you know, what the, what's the phrase from 8mm? Uh, you dance with the devil. The devil doesn't change, but he changes you. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird movie, too. Anyway, uh, so this one is on the schedule because, again, Mark's trying to be a bit more magnanimous and accommodating and stave off the inevitable revolution by the under, by the underpaid uh, peasants that work under that his serfs. His serfs. We have discovered movable printed type, and we are now threatening the landed gentry. I'm really trying to avoid the French Revolution. I like my head where it is. <laughs> yeah, we should, we should all try to avoid the French Revolution. It was a bad time. Uh, and there's literally nothing else. Like we looked at this weekend and went, huh, nothing. <laughs> well, there's this. Sure. Why not? And we've enjoyed, we've reviewed a few other James Wan properties on this particular podcast. Uh, some of them at more length than others. And it just seemed like it would be a, you know, decent time. And then the trailer dropped and Mark, I have to say, before I get into the plot of this movie, I want to start with this. Okay. The trailer for this movie is wildly misleading. Oh, yeah. But I don't know how I don't know what I would have done differently. Like, I don't I don't know how you if you if you're cutting the trailer together, right? You're trying to mm -hmm. sell this thing. That's what that is. It's an advertisement. I don't know 
how you sell this movie. And that's it, not that's because this that's the, that's just the kind of the movie this is. Okay, so without stepping on your toes, I think the way you do it is to is to draw a circle around the main hook before the twist reveal. The main hook is she's having visions of murders. Yeah, okay. You say that at the beginning. You you do you do a little bit of what they already did do. Yeah. It's like not it's not the world's worst trailer. Don't no, try it, to it, don't try really to sell this as a haunted house movie. That's the thing. Yeah. They tried to sell this first as a haunted house movie. And that's kind of how it starts, and then it shifts. Leave out the haunted house part. Just mental patient. I'm having visions. Brief shot of a murder. Another brief shot of a murder. Another brief shot of a murder. Ah, malignant. Done. And then I think yeah. it's not quite as jarring when you get to the Marvel fight scene at the end. Yeah, this movie is sold just uh, for the. If you haven't seen the trailer, but we're gonna, it's gonna be running in the background. But as with most things, uh, especially trailers, you know, dialogue and music is key. They try to sell this as more of a really, really tense, uh, mm. you know, per, not, either some combination of haunted house and haunted person. Yeah, it's like, a very psychological, like almost, psychological yeah. horror kind of a thing. A little bit, you know, uh, bits of like paranormal activity and yeah. you, all of those really like claustrophobic horror stories. Can I? And boy, um, is I, this not that? No, and that's and that's what aggravated me about like we're gonna talk about sort of the especially when we get to the Rotten Tomatoes because there's just the kind of like with Shang Chi, there's just this wild pendulum of everyone's like, oh my god, it's so. It's so different than everything else. That means it's great, which is not right. And the, I don't understand it at all. I don't know what this is. It's terrible, which is also not right. I, the movie is in the middle of those two far extremes, and we'll, we'll get there. But the thing that aggravated me about the first act of this movie is those kinds of haunted house elements that they focused on in the trailer that do nothing and go nowhere and don't make a tremendous amount of sense. So one of the ones that I'm pointing at, and it's in the trailer, that's why I brought this up, is the couch cushion. Yeah. The ca you're made to believe that there's a ghost of some sort of physical form, but invisible, pressing down on the couch cushion. And, ooh, the couch cushion moved. And then, like, Poltergeist, the TV does a scrambled thing. And you're like, oh, my God, what spirit is in this house haunting these poor people? And then it shifts to something else. You know, like what happened to the haunted house movie I was watching, and and that's the thing about the trailer. Just just to finish up that point, mm -hmm. is when the trailer can't coherently explain the movie, <laughs> yeah, this you're going to have a problem with the audience trying to get trying to understand the movie as well. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And and I absolutely when you when it's done. If you've thought about it even for a little while, you get what James Gu James James Gunn. You get what James Wan was going for, but it, this is definitely one of those movies, as you're alluding to, where they tried to sell you it as something it wasn't, and then people by the end of it were like, "That isn't what I paid for at all." But I loved it. I hated it. I peed my pants. I laughed. I cried. I hurled. Whatever. But it is definitely misleading. It, it, this movie. Like a lot of movies that is, there's not a lot of these movies, but they exist. They touch on like eight different genres. Mm -hmm. You struggle to know how to sell them. I mean, if right. you want another example, you know, Mark, if you were to try and 
cut together a trailer for the princess bride like what do you sell that as right or I mean, you know are, or even better how do you how do you sell too old to die young you know well you don't <laughs> sell that but. <laughs> but you know like you want people no, 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 the, the point yeah your Amazon, you want people to watch, you want people to sign up for your streaming service. And this is, this is one of the, um, exclusive offerings they've got, or especially early on in that service. Mm -hmm. How, you know, how do you sell something as esoteric as too young to, you know, too young to die, too old to die young to a general audience? I mean, once they've sat down and watched this thing, there's, there's no hope of retaining anyone, but <laughs> none, none whatsoever, but to answer your to answer your point like what do you take from that movie from that show and try to cut together to make some sort of coherent enticing thing for people to watch through your streaming service yeah and i don't That's a rhetorical envy, question you know I, I know like my point there is to say i don't envy the people who had to try and put together the trailer for this and you know god bless them they put together a perfectly acceptable trailer that thankfully didn't give anything away right and, the entire could you imagine like the jail scene like by, by the way spoilers can you imagine in the trailers that jail scene of her going wrong you know and hello <laughs> and like and <laughs> and don't get me wrong how many other movies how many other trailers have we watched that just give away everything you right know? right it's it's a real problem in the trailer industry but so all that is to say if all you've seen is the trailer you do not have an accurate understanding of this movie. <laughs> this needs to be seen. Needs to be seen in the movies. Um, you know, um, last thing, and then we should get into the plot synopsis, yeah. but I'm kind of angry at Universal for chickening out after the year that they've had. I mean, they're probably the only other studio, I mean, especially with F9 out there, they're the only other studio giving Disney a run for its money. And they were brave this year, braver than, they're the bravest studio going right now they're the only one that didn't just dump everything onto peacock on their own streaming service and then as i like say that out loud and laud the bravery of universal trying to maintain the uh integrity of the theater experience they're like halloween kills right to peacock like come on so you know like i don't well, want not only not only that but their other their other response to the state of the world was how about next year yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, we're so Paramount. We're Paramount. We'll just release nothing. It's fine. So, 2021. <laughs> you know that that's in the past. How about we talk? Let's talk. Let's talk about 2022. All right. We should be at. We should be out of Greek letters for variants by then. We won't be. Look, <laughs> what are we never for? Gonna... What did I hear we were up to now? Omega. There is no end to it. It is. Look, guys. I mean, not to delve too deeply into this, but. Once that thing left the Chinese area of immediate outbreak, like once that fell apart, there was no anyone who told you we were getting back to quote unquote normal in a reasonable time frame was either a moron or a liar. <laughs> once this got from China to the United States and everywhere mm -hmm. in between, it's now endemic. It's there. There's no getting away from it. So my point being like, I'm, like I will go see Malignant in the theater and I will go see anything being offered on HBO max in the theater. Um, but you know, or, or you know, instead of it's streaming service, when, when I have the choice and the time I'm going to the theater to see these things and Malignant definitely is better appreciated. And I think better, a better viewing experience in the theater than it is sitting at home. 
but I'm mad at Universal now, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just watch Halloween Kills on Peacock because <laughs> the hell with these people. I'm I'm done being the only one supporting the integrity of the theater experience. I not, Mark Rattledge, wash my hands of the whole thing. You're not the only one, but I am the only one going to theaters. I all that money that you see Chang Chi making, me right here. All right, I'm done being stupid now. You can continue. All right, so malignant. Begins in 1993, those vaunted years of yore. <laughs> Which, uh, side note, 30 years ago, <laughs> and I have to remind myself of that on occasion, like that's, you know, Mark, you were alive in the 90s, as was uh, I. I was. And when I Kirk imagine... Co when Kurt Cobain was murdered. He committed suicide, deal with it. But I imagine at some point, some movie set something in the 60s and presented it as the vaunted years of yore, and you went, boy, that was forever ago, and your parents looked at you in shock and horror. <laughs> sure. Forrest Gump, right? You're like, oh, those those ancient times of the 50s and 60s, my parents are like, you know. Yeah. I I lived through that. I'm not old, <laughs> and then you realize, no, that's how you realize you're, you're getting old, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> When your kid finds a penny with the year of your birth on it and goes, boy, look how old this is. I had to explain to my daughter what the Black Album was today because we were listening to the Blacklist um, in the car on the way to Shinobi. And I, and it was, it was kind of like when I explained to my wife what the million dollar title was. And I'm like, well, let's go back. First, there was a race to see who could be the fastest band. It was won by Napalm Death, but I'm getting I'm ahead of the story. Like, yeah, that, was how, that was how I explained the Black Album to her. This is how Thrash came about, and then... <laughs> All Look, right. there it is! There's the cushion! So, yeah. So we we start in a in some kind of medical facility, the, what was it, the Simeon Institute? Yeah. In 1993, where we are... A patient by the name of Gabriel is alluded to. He has begun reacting to electricity because they constantly have to shock him into submission, and he's getting stronger and more violent. And there, this sequence ends with the somewhat ominous, it's time to cut out the cancer. We jump forward 28 years to follow Madison, a pregnant woman living in Seattle with her abusive jack wagon of a husband, uh, Derek. They get into a brief physical altercation where Derek slams the back of Madison's head into a wall, like you do when you're an abusive jack wagon. Uh, but not too long after this, as he's, uh, as Madison is trying to sleep that night with blood pouring down the back of her head. Like you do. Well, you know. Uh, as Derek is sleeping on the couch, he is stalked and then eventually accosted and murdered by an unseen entity. Uh, Madison winds up downstairs. She is accosted by it as well. Uh, she winds up knocked out on the upstairs uh, in an upstairs bedroom. Uh, she wakes up in the hospitals to find that she has miscarried. This is her like third or fourth miscarriage, which is a terrible thing. Uh, her sister comes to console her. Her we are introduced also to a couple of the detectives that we're going to follow for a bit. Yeah, uh, who are hot detective hot pants and detective sassy pants. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I accept your naming of them. <laughs> They're here investigating Derek's murder. They start looking at Madison because, well, she's an abused spouse, and frequently that ends badly. Um, 
There, what follows from this is uh, Madison starts having visions of some entity in a black cloak with long matted hair that looks horrifying, murdering other people. This character, this creature, abducts uh, a what at the time was real was thought of to be as a Jane Doe who was a tour guide for the Seattle Underground. And no, not I'm gonna actually quote the. I'm going to quote the actual movie here. No, not the kind that spawned Nirvana. Uh, they, uh, but she's having these visions of this character attacking and violently murdering people. Uh, one of whom is the one of the characters we met in the beginning, Doctor uh, Weaver. And we wind up getting the backstory on Madison, who was adopted by her current family. Uh, and was before being adopted by them was a patient at the Simeon Institute and was seen by Weaver and a few other doctors, both, most of whom are now dead. Uh, and what we just, uh, she has a conversation with this other entity known as Gabriel, who can kind of project his voice through various speakers. Uh, and she remembers him as being kind of her like imaginary friend. And what you realize as you go back through her medical history is this was not her imaginary friend. This was a horrifying other entity that kind of, they describe it as a teratoma, which is a form of uh, cancerous growth. Uh, that they, they badly mishandled the science here. They're trying yeah, to go for a it, combination it, it, of... Well, I was gonna say it was half a tomb. It was half a um, a twin that she absorbed, and half a cancerous tumor. Yeah, it's like the, weird. The, it really is, but there's a specific reason. I think there's a specific reason for that. But anyway, it was this mm -hmm. severely underdeveloped uh, physically thing that was like growing out of the back of her head and a little bit on her upper body. And Doctor Weaver removed as much of it as she could and shoved the rest back in. Shoved the rest back into uh, Madison's skull, and then after Madison had her head had her head banged off the wall, that apparently fractured her skull enough for Gabriel to come out and start reasserting himself. Now, look, I don't like to be the person who interrupts you when you're doing these, but I do have to add this detail, and then I will let you continue. Mm -hmm. um, they made a point of saying that the thing had been the surgery rendered the thing dormant. Okay. It was not affecting her. She had no memory of it, basically, until all of this started happening. It was a non-entity, and she could go and live a happy life. However, and this is and this goes to the pregnancy thing, she had had three miscarriages before the fourth pregnancy, which then is miscarried because she got knocked to the floor and all of that. Um, what you'll find out later is that this half-cancerous tumor, half-conjoined twin that she absorbed was feeding on the energy of the babies. Yep. Which I don't want to get into this now, but it's important to know that it was both dormant and feeding at the same time, but not altogether conscious enough to reclaim her body, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Please continue. Yeah, and I... Can I just? I have to mention when I get to the end of this how much I enjoyed this movie, but I'll, I'll get to it. Sure, <laughs> it, it is totally nuts. Mm. Um, 
the other thing that happens about this time is the woman that was abducted from the Seattle underground falls through the ceiling of their house. She was being <laughs> kept up there as Gabriel was going about his preparation work. Uh, turns out that is Madison's birth, uh, birth mother mm -hmm. who gave her up because she was a 15 year old child who was raped and you know, horrible, horrible things happened to her. And she gave up the child and it, um, who became Madison and you know, lived a mostly productive life. Um, but after this woman who's been, you know, captive and very clearly physically abused falls through the ceiling of this house, they arrest Madison for mostly understandable <laughs> reasons. Uh, as she is in jail, however, uh, we get around the same time kind of the backstory about Gabriel and how he's able to take control of Madison's body. And he, part of the re, part of the way he does this is projecting an image because they share the same brain. So he projects, you know, stuff that she wants to see into her brain while her body is out doing other things. Right. And uh, Gabriel proceeds to murder everyone else in the holding cell. <laughs> Yes, including a time-traveling hooker from the 70s. Yes. <laughs> Which was the least crazy thing that, that Gabriel did. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, look, I'm just saying this, man. If I come across a time-traveling hooker from the 70s, that might I might also resort to violent means. I understand. It, that, that just shouldn't be, man. It just shouldn't be. Um, she, uh, Gabriel breaks out, of, breaks out of the jail, proceeds to then kill a, a significant number of the because they're not they're not technically kills, in jail kills all the police in the prince in the precinct uh, and maybe some neighboring ones yeah goes on a rampage <laughs> uh fights out of the precinct uh heads to the <laughs> hospital where the his magic short sword plus 20 damage by the way that was <laughs> personally crafted it's not even a sword it's a punch dagger <laughs> uh and Believe me, I, I, I have things to say. I'm, I'm going to say a lot of negative things about this movie and then mm -hmm. just have to understand that I still love it. Yeah. Again, uh, I, I'm going to say it again. I love this movie is not always this movie is good. You yeah. can love it. And I don't begrudge anyone who loves this movie, says the guy who liked the Tarzan swing in F9 by the car. Oh, so I am the last person to judge, but I loved it is not. It was good. You also defended the Tarzan movie starring Alexander Skarsgård from a few years back. I defend a lot of things. We'll get to it. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> I just occasionally have to remind you that you defended. Hey, oh, no. Samuel I, Jackson, you have I, to lick this gorilla's testicles. I um, I have thought a lot about this review after I saw this movie and I'm like, this is, this is the ultimate hoisting of my own batard. This is all the reviews I've made Robert sit through and all the, and all the on trials and all the defenses that I firmly rest upon. Yeah, but it's what the people want. This is all of that turned back on me. I feel like James Wan saw our previous damn you Hollywood. It was like, what can we do to fuck with this guy? This, this, this fat ass who does this podcast, what can we do to mess with him? What if we made a Marvel movie, but it was a horror movie? That would mess with him. And that we would get revenge for all these years <laughs> of defending things like Marvel movies and F9 and Star Wars and whatnot. 
and well done. Well done. Uh, <laughs> so, Gab so Gabriel heads to the hospital to confront their mother. Uh, Madison's adopted sister, who's been in most of this other movie, is there as well. They fight. Um, Sydney, her sister, tells her that it's Gabriel who's responsible for all of your miscarriages, and this wakes Madison up from her mental prison. She locks Gabriel away in the mental prison, and he says, but I will, I shall return. Yeah, but I'll be ready for you then. And she saves her sister. They all hug. We tease a, we tease a tease at the end, which is actually mm -hmm. a great little filmmaking technique from one. That, and like the way they pan over, they lean, they lead over towards a light and you're waiting for it to flicker because that's one of Gabriel's things. He messes with electricity. But it never actually comes, and I, I really like that little bit from Juan. So that's our movie. It is this is a deliberately insane exercise in filmmaking. It is nuts. It is off the wall, and it touches on about eight different. So the thing about music, right? Because you met, we wanted to kind of bring the. I wanted to kind of bring this back because you touched on this. The horror genre is a little bit like saying it's metal. If we're talking yeah. about music, you know, how many subgenres of metal are there, Mark? A lot. And when and and there are subgenres of subgenres. So there isn't just places, yes. there isn't just pirate metal. There's pirate shanty metal, and then there's yes. just regular pirate metal. That's true. Both of which are awesome. Indeed. Uh, there's Viking metal. Like there's so many different mm -hmm. subgenres. Right. Horror is a bit the same way. There's a billion subgenres. And Malignant manages to reference or pay homage to 90% of them. It's a miraculous feat. It's uh, been described as a giallo, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. G-I-A-L-L-O. Um, that, uh, that's close enough to the correct pronunciation. We can go with that. Um, and it's basically like an Italian horror mystery you know, crime movie. Um, and this is technically not a giallo, but kind of an homage to a giallo. That is the way I've heard reviewers I respect talk about it. That's that's very much true that it definitely takes its roots from that. I mean, the Amer the whole American slasher genre of horror movies takes influence from the Gallo films. Okay. Uh, Gallo or it, giallo? I don't know. I can't remember. I've heard it pronounced both ways, and then I'm all confused. I'm going to start calling it giallo. Tell you what, you... You call it, you pronounce it how you want to pronounce it, and we'll we all know what, we're, what you're talking about. Got and it. So it, it definitely takes like its bo its bones come from that. But then if you look at specific sequences, there's camera tricks that are reminiscent of Kubrick, that are mm -hmm. reminiscent of, um, oh, who's the other one? The name's escaping me. A uh, lot of um, in the Giallo uh, uh, film noir genre. Uh, genre there's a lot of uh, dario argento that's it thank you yeah, yeah there, i knew so, where you're going with this yeah we get cinematic tricks that were used by kubrick some that were used by argento we get every like horror movie that dealt in these kind of subgenres in like the 60s especially 60s and 70s mm -hmm. this is where we constantly get the kind of like um the psychological, you know, I, I, I am psychically connected with this killer that I comes a lot from that, like parts of the right. 80s. I cannot yeah. imagine on any level that Wes Craven wasn't terribly influenced by this genre. Oh, yeah. Genre. What, oh, yeah. Wes Craven wasn't. This movie, there's a couple of Wes Craven, uh, specifically some of the psychic 
visions that she has where the mm-hmm. world kind of melts around her. That's a very Craven didn't use it in the Nightmare on Elm Street series uh, specifically to uh, he didn't use that like to do that same thing about seeing someone else kill someone. But that the visual style of that is very mm-hmm. much stuff he did with the within the dream world. Right. The use of reds and kind of like a red filter on the camera thing. That's all over Nightmare on Elm Street. That's all over this. Um, it's all over like that style of filmmaking. Um, you get a little bit of references to uh, some Japanese horror movies, uh, especially like mm-hmm. the going back through uh, going back to the old medical facility and looking through VHS tapes is a not uncommon trope for certain uh, styles of fil- of you know s- for certain subgenres, the entire I had a conjoined twin thing is straight out of a like that started in fifties horror, mm-hmm. like uh, when you uh, and then it that kind of melt that kind of uh, you know developed over time and took its own twists and turns. So I watched the half in the bag on this today, and they kept referring to it as Quattro from uh, Total Recall. And I'm driving as I'm listening to it, and my my okay. daughter's holding yeah. my phone, and she's laughing and enjoying half in the bag really great first one to show her by the way anyway so she's laughing at half in the bag and she and they keep referencing quattro and then i had to explain total recall to her it was a very a very informative car ride i assume so uh so in another year or so you'll be showing her total recall i assume more than likely gotta show her commando first oh yeah like commandos <laughs> we have commandos to we have to work our way chronologically through schwarzenegger yeah if you want to show her, start her on Kindergarten Cop. Ugh. Hey, that's a great movie. Move on. <laughs> Look, that that is how you get your kids into Arnie. You start them there. No, you and start then them you with Commando. No, no, no. You start them with Kindergarten Cop because you can show that to small children. Mm-hmm. Then the next two you show them are Commando and your choice of either Predator or True Lies. I'd have to rewatch. True. I'd depend on the age, and I'd have to rewatch True Lies again. But all right, we're you'd, we're, ha- you'd, look, you'd have <laughs> to move on. Go, no, 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 no. I don't want to debate Schwarzenegger. Malignant. You'd have, no, you'd have to just skip Jamie Lee Curtis's incredibly uh, erotic striptease. Other than that, Commando's pretty much fine. True Lies. Uh, True Lies. Yeah, sorry. And but yeah, that's how you get him hooked on Arnie. Like that, that's that's kind of the order that you have to do that in, unless you're not your son. Your son should go Commando, Predator, Conan. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this this hits so many horror, like classic horror tropes. Yeah. And all the all the way to the body horror element of having something terrible growing out of the back of your skull. But I think like, it also it, it also looks at the culture and says, what's what are people like right now? Like this film has no point of view. This film has nothing to say. This is made for people to, in, and we'll talk about this with the money, but this was made for broad audiences to enjoy broadly and make shit tons of money, giving the people what they want in this particular genre. Um, and, and James Wan, especially with that third act, definitely kind of looked at the kinds of movies that are making billions of dollars and the kinds of things that people like to see and what's gotten popular over the last 20 years and was like, let's do that, but let's let's do the horror version of it. And that's that whole cop priest. That's that whole precinct murder scene. That was like, that was literally like straight out of a Marvel fight scene, but you're allowed to dismember people. You know, and people also brought up like the matrix 
which again, people loved, but no one gets dismembered in the Matrix. It shot to pieces, but that's about it. And again, it was like, let's look at all of these great action movies and let's give the people the things that they loved. And but and then here's the thing: when people are talking about this movie, they really don't talk about the first two thirds of it. They really are focusing in on that last third, where from from the from the murder in the jail cell to the to the precinct to the to the very end in the hospital room that's what everyone's focusing on and that's what everyone's coming away going oh my god i love this thing because of all of that and that is because it was all the things people like right now yeah i i, I haven't looked at enough other people reviewing this thing so oh, I, I, I will trust <laughs> i will trust i will trust that that's what a lot of people are saying mm -hmm. i actually am going to very briefly go to bat for the first two-thirds of this movie Sure, sure. All right, let me um let me get my yeah, thoughts out there. So I, I've touched on this already, but let me let me just say that you know, since I'm always the guy that like defends the stupid action things, I'm not going to pick at this movie for this the stupid horrific action scenes in this. It's it's what the people want. I think my initial gut reaction to this. I want to talk about this real quick. My initial gut reaction to this, and I put this on my TikTok was. I don't understand why people like this. The, you know, and having just seen Candyman and having seen some of these horror, horror horror movies that had a perspective, it had an agenda, it was saying something, it was using the medium to have a conversation that people don't normally have now, not a civil one at least. And I, you know, and I kind of got spoiled by all of that. And just over the years, I was I was I was thinking about like some of the horror that we've done you know we've done scream which was a meta commentary about the horror, horror genre and, and a this, lot of it's great this borders more on scream than on the others like it, it's not full-on meta commentary but the right. way it's structured like sure. it, it is very much like poking at those right and we did we did the paranormal activity movies which again yeah. you know in its early incarnations you know was redefining the horror genre um i've watched i didn't we never reviewed it but i've watched the blair witch project which you know invented the found footage uh it, nah, it, it, it didn't invent it but it sort of revitalized it sure um and you know, you know and then some other lesser known ones like we've done jaws which obviously was monumental in you know in the film industry we've done final destination you and i did that one um so my point being i have watched a significant amount of horror despite you know our earlier conversation and i think because i actively avoided the really schlocky stuff like there, I tend to forget how big the horror genre is and how much there is in it. And I, and I, I allowed myself to believe because I've only seen some of the better stuff, um, that the horror genre isn't filled with hot garbage that, and, and, and hot garbage people hate and hot garbage people love. I just avoided all of it because I don't want to see, I don't want to see people take armfuls of guts and throw them at the camera. But I know oh, that's what people. <laughs> but I know <laughs> that's what. But I know that's what people like. You know, even like the Babadook. You know, the Babadook was very, you know, psychological and, yeah. and and eerie and all of that. It was it was great. You know, we had a long conversation about that too. So my point being, we, me personally, over the years we've been podcasting, I have not done a deep dive into shitty horror. I actively avoided it. So I'm watching this and I'm looking around and people are laughing and hooting and having a grand old time. Like this is the, the most exciting time at the movie ever. And they, they were having a blast. And I am like confused. Like, isn't this <laughs> supposed because I now because I'm stupid and now think all movies should be Candyman. 
Um, and I forget that, you know, not no, not every movie is going to be F9. Not every movie is going to be Wrath of Man. You know, you're going to have a lot of movies in the middle and you're going to have a lot of movies that are on both sides of that spectrum. And it's going to be the same thing with horror. So my early inclination with this was this was the dumbest thing ever. And oh my God, I can't believe people like this too. Oh, I get why people like this now. They're allowed to like it. It's fine. Um, but that being said, issues I have with, with the movie um, non-related to bias. Uh, we talked about it a little already, but like some of the stuff in this movie just doesn't, you know, I, I think the worst thing about, you can say about a movie craft wise is it's not, it's not um, consistent within its own universe. And both from a thematic point of view and from what's presented plot wise, things don't flow logically. You know, in the beginning, you have kind of a haunted house aesthetic, which I was really into, by the way. Like the first third of this movie, you know, with the hospital, which which seemed kind of like X-Men-ish, by the way. I was like, oh, boy, it's a superhero movie. That's what this is. And then and then we're doing, you know, creepy husband, abusive husband, haunted house stuff and, you know, and vengeful ghost killing abusive husband. I'm like, OK, we're doing haunted house stuff. This is creepy. I may not get all the way through this, but, you know, you've you've hooked me into the haunted house thing. Then we abandon the haunted house thing and it becomes like a, it just becomes a straight up slasher and you have the cop chasing the boogeyman through the street and he's doing parkour and i'm like what the fuck is this <laughs> and, you know, and then you have the long series of reveals that lead up to uh the third act and by that point the movie was so far off the rail that i was like i don't i'm not even this isn't frightening anymore this is this isn't horror this is just graphic action graphic violence and and then it became splatterhouse and you know and it became like matrixy and all of that all the stuff i already said before but like you know as we were talking about there were things within the plot that like i said didn't add up they couldn't decide what the monster was because i because i when it when i thought it was just a malignant tumor that was left so long it grew arms and legs i was like oh that's a fun concept yeah that was that was almost my my initial inclination. There was mm -hmm. they had they had excised this from her, mm -hmm. and, and it, it got just, out and ran away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, it was the it was the head from the thing, right? right? Which I which I would have been into. Like like literally a, a malignant tumor running around murdering people as an elevator pitch. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that was well. Especially, I especially got that kind of feeling from it during the chase sequence because. Yeah. And credit to whoever, credit to whatever stuntman was doing. They stuff mm -hmm. with Gabriel, made him look almost limbless, like yeah. jointless. Right. So I'm watching that, going, oh, if if they like cut this thing out of her, mm -hmm. and it survived somehow and has been you know feeding on itself. Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, it's approximating human form, but there's no, you know, skeletal structure. Because I know what a teratoma is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, usually a bundle of, like, hair and teeth. Right. Uh, yeah, they've actually, I, I've actually seen, like, graphic footage of a tumor that got so big it started to grow hair and teeth. Or you can, I mean, if you just Google teratoma, I think one of the mm -hmm. first images that comes up is, like, a testicle that is growing teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're... they're there we uh, we know what these things are right. and so i w when they went the way they went i was a little disappointed in that mm -hmm. but they, but at that point you know, 
by the time they show it, you know, growing out of her back at that point, like, oh, okay, I'll, I'm, I will take this ride. Like at yeah. that point, I'm, just, I, I'm well, on the, but even when the it's, roller coaster. <laughs> but even when it's growing out of her back, if it's still, if if that's still just a tumor, I'm fine with it. When it was, but it's also your conjoined twin. And now you're sharing, you're, you're, you're sharing brains. And oh, by the way, it has X-Men powers. I'm like, Ugh, all right, <laughs> what, what else is this thing going to be? And here's the thing. This is what I was talking about before. Like, I, it's a vengeful, hateful, you know, antisocial being that was, you know, that, that in theory was excised from her body and now just running amok. Then why is it doing ghost stuff? And like, it felt like they want it was like, well, we want to do ghost stuff to kind of get people into the movie and sort of, you know, just take them along. But then we won't do ghost stuff anymore. We're going to do something else as if like they got ADD in the middle of writing this thing. Yeah, I I'm with you a little bit in that. Uh, Any time that we see I'm, I'm perfectly willing to go with the movie in the sense that anytime um, you know, Gabriel can do whatever. And our, as long as our point of view for the stuff going on at the same time is restricted to Madison, I'm, I will go with, okay, he has locked her in a mind prison. She is Legion, right? Like, Right. But yeah. when he killed, I'm specifically talking about the scene where he kill where, she, where he, Gabriel kills the husband. Yeah. That, that, that is one, shot. That, that's the thing that is shot from hit from Gabriel's perspective. And that means what you're seeing is actually happening, which means the ghost stuff that he's doing shouldn't be happening. And it's a, I guess, a minor point to pick on. But they made this movie, and 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 going through it, they didn't think any of that stuff through. They just sort of threw it out there and were like, "It'll scare the shit out of people. It's fine," you know. Like I, two nerds aren't going to try to deconstruct this. It'll be fine, you know. Uh, that yeah, that uh, that sequence I think is the big one that kind of doesn't mm -hmm. really make sense. Uh, that said, I was okay with her being chased by. Uh, I was okay with her coming down and seeing horrible mm -hmm. thing and then being chased back upstairs by, you know, her hallucination essentially at that point. Like that I'm good with. But the whole way he's killed, that doesn't, yeah, that it's told from Derek's perspective more than anything else. So, yeah, we should be seeing reality. And that, now, that doesn't really make sense. Now, the second act where she's just like, where reality is melting around her and she's watching each of the people involved in her surgery get killed. Those are the best parts of the movie. Like I was fine with all of that. There were good scares there. There was good yeah. violence. Um, it, it's the strongest part of the movie and it's the only part of the movie that makes any degree of sense. Yeah. I, this is not an especially scary movie. No, but that doesn't mean it's devoid of scares. It has some quite mm -hmm. good ones. Again, her getting chased by the black shadow in the beginning, I think is pretty good. Yeah. And uh, there's a scene, the scene that sets up, this is in the trailer actually, but where she's coming down the stairs and then just in the background, we see that horrible little flesh monster run across the screen. Yeah. Like that, that's a good, I mean, that's a good scare. It's not going to stick with you, you know, long-term or anything necessarily, but it's a mm -hmm. perfectly good little scare. Oh yeah, I it just for me it was like once you know what the twist is in all of this, you, I start to wonder why Gabriel is specifically messing with her. The mission, Gabriel's mission was kill all the people that hurt me. You know, well, like, well, why are you messing with Madison? Then you just want you just need Madison to be out of the way. 
Like, well, no. I don't know. I think there's a stronger movie to be made where Madison just sort of keeps waking up with knives in her hands and shit. Like, like I'll tell you, I'll tell you the scene that works the most effectively in this movie for me. Probably the scariest, most horrifying, most relatable scene where the I where it's the only it's one of the few times in the movie the monster's doing something that's effective and consistent with what the monster wants. So um Madison is an only child adopted by this family, and then she finds out that she's having a sister. And the the monster in her mind doesn't want to share the parent. And so he's trying to convince her to, to kill the baby in, in utero. And the monster then projects an image of a cake and says, slice the cake, slice the cake. Mm -hmm. And so Madison goes to slice the cake and she wakes up just in the ta-da nick of time to realize the cake is the mother's womb. And she almost cut into her with a kitchen knife. And honestly, Robert, that was the most horrifying thing in this movie for me. It is also the best, I think, uh, the best example of what the monster does and how it does it that doesn't break continuity with the rest of the movie. Yeah, I was very, I very much enjoyed that sequence as well. That was mm -hmm. really good. Um, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, I can enjoy things that make me uncomfortable. You know, sure. You're supposed to in some respects. I, I, was, I was like this the whole time. I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, please don't cut the mother. Um, yeah, so I I liked I liked pretty much all of this movie. There, there are three very different movies that are in the three different acts of this thing. And it's... Let me say that about something else too, where it was just like it was just utterly disconnected. It was, you know, like the it's like three different movies. Something else we saw I that think, was the same thing. Well, it makes less sense. Um, I I know I said that a little bit about the first Ant Man movie. Mm hmm. And something something it, this year though. It, uh, oh, Candyman! Shit, duh. We're both idiots. Candyman. Yeah, yeah. It was like the third act is in a totally completely different movie. This seems to be bit, a thing yeah. now. I feel like this is a theme. I at least here it was intentional. Like the, yeah. they, this movie deliberately jumps tones and genres because it's it's trying to be a again just kind of a fever dream love letter to all these different horror subgenres wrapped up in a decent enough story and a off the wall package of visuals. And I'm going to I'm going to credit again whoever does the physical stunt work for Gabriel. Mm -hmm. There's there is some stuff that that poor guy had to do guy or girl. I don't know for sure. So that poor person. Yeah. That because sometimes, sometimes it's very clear. Okay. This person is wearing backwards clothes and we're just right. going along for the ride. There's other times when it's pretty obvious. No, this person is literally doing this stuff backwards. I want to say they actually got like a contortionist to do some of that. Probably. Uh, um, you would have to. Yeah. Marina Mazapa as Gabriel, and I want to say that that Marina Mazapa is a contortionist that they got to do some of that, like a, a dancer and contortionist and whatnot. That's what I heard from another podcast. Well, C either way, got tremendous work that she did. Yeah. She did just phenomenal right. stuff. So just to kind of wrap this up, um, the, the good things were, I think it shot well. I, I think the, the visuals, like I keep making the joke about like this felt like a Marvel movie at times, but that's to the film's credit. It, he he handled it well, you know, in the sense of like, can we can we do a Marvel action sequence with no handcuffs, you know, where we can make it as bloody and as and as ridiculous as we want it to be, and it was visually effective. The things that the other than like I said, there's 
there's a lack of coherency from one end to the other of this movie. The other problems with it are the dialogue in this is the shits. This is some dumb dialogue throughout this movie. Oh, I think yeah. the actors try the best they can with it. Um, it's a little, and some of the performances are a little like, "Hey, you're the you're the nice cop. Be be the nice cop. You're the dumb cop. Be the dumb cop." You know, in the movie's defense, though, I will tell you that nobody makes a really stupid decision in all of this. Like yeah. the one thing I want to give credit for, like the sister is probably the smartest person in the entire cast. And even like the dumb cop is making decisions based on, you know, the evidence presented to her at the time. And when counter evidence is presented, she's willing to change. She isn't like still making dumb decisions based on her own prejudices. Yeah. Um, but just, just so I'll let you have the final word here. They these actors really struggled with some of the stupidest dialogue, and I'll tell you, I it was I'm glad it was at the end of the movie because that final bit where she is confronting Gabriel in the mine in in the mine made cell, and she goes into her Captain Marvel woke speech. I was like, come on, man! <laughs> like, it was badly written, badly delivered, and it screamed. And I'm not like a go woke, go broke kind of guy. I, you know, if there are there are great things that work that show women in prominence, and I applaud those things when they happen. But this felt like, all right, at the, you know, we well we've killed uh, we've killed a spousal abuser who was watching the UFC. By the way, did you notice that? Because all that men who watch the UFC are bad. That, that wasn't the UFC in particular, but he was watching an MMA event. Yes, sure. It looked like the UFC to me, but I couldn't see it that closely. It's not it, okay. the logo. The logo, I believe, was the RFA, which is a now defunct organization. Either way, um, he's watching MMA, and you know, and he's a dude, so he's bad. And cops are bad, so we got to kill all those people, you know. And then the monster, of course, is 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 a male at the very least, and it's bad, obviously, because it's the monster of this movie. And it couldn't just be like, I'm going to kill you because you're a monster and you've tortured me my entire life. It has to be, I, it was like, <laughs> she said, it's a, it's an allusion to a degree, but she said something to the along the lines of like, you know, and I, I'll be ready for you and you, you can't imprison me anymore. And it just felt so very like, I am woman, hear me roar. And I'm like, can I, come can on, I just, man. <laughs> can I just say, I'm 90% sure of this. Mm-hmm. That speech being deliberately feminist, like being de <laughs> that is a deliberately bad, bad speech mm -hmm. because so many crappy horror movies will end with something like that. Okay, so do you think because somebody brought this up in another in another review that this almost feels like a parody of the horror genre? This movie is it's not a full on like Mel Brooks parody, right? It's not Dracula dead and loving it. But this is very firmly tongue-in-cheek all the way through. Okay, so you think that whole, like, woke, feminist, ridiculously performed and oh, yeah. written speech was deliberate? Oh, and yeah. Not, and, and not a lack of, you know, um, insight? No, no, no. This is... If this were done by other people, I might believe it was just bad. Mm -hmm. But I, I know everyone involved well enough to know that these aren't... They would not be doing this if they thought it was good. Okay. Like, no, James Wan has done enough quality movies. Right. With, at both the high end and low end of the budget spectrum with people from A-list celebrity, top quality actors to people you've never heard of. 
he knows what he's going for. He knows what he okay. wants out of a performance. And that's that's fine. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I have to go with my own experience. Like you often say on here, you have to go with what your own experiences are. I had no idea that that, that this was supposed to be tongue in cheek, and maybe I wouldn't have reacted so negatively if I had known that. But in my seat, watching it at the time, I was like, yeah. <laughs> "I'm done no, with no, no, this. I, I need to go." <laughs> I, I get that. Like, if you haven't, and the, I don't know how I don't know how else to say this. Mm -hmm. If you haven't clued in to the tone. Uh, of this movie by that by the end point then yes that's going to come off very very badly yeah and this movie speaks a very specific language when it comes to telling you what it's doing okay and a lot of that comes from a lot of films and a lot of subgenres that you're and not just you but a lot of people aren't terribly aren't deeply familiar with i don't cut so a little bit of the again the kind of tongue-in-cheek you know poking fun at all of these tropes some of which are beloved for good reasons some of which are just hung around forever mm -hmm. uh, if you're missing that then yeah her big speech at the end does come across as a little bit so here's gal gadot and <laughs> right <laughs> Whis but... whispering into the wind actually i had i kept waiting for her at the end to go and i am all the jedi at which point <laughs> yeah. dick and penis right at the screen <laughs> yeah yeah it's but I think I think you have to watch if you haven't seen this movie yet. Dick and pants. I meant to say dick, not dick and penis, like the two different things. Dick and pants. All right, I'm done. Go. Yeah. If you haven't seen this movie yet and you do choose to watch it based on our review, which I would, if you think you'll enjoy this, you will. This movie is very much a it's a you know almost a pseudo parody. From the overacting by by the uh, the sister, you know, when she finds out that her big sister's adopted and she was never told, the look of utter like <laughs> high school theater shock on her face. Uh, she's my favorite character in the whole thing. I she I don't disagree with that. Like mm. she's awesome, but like this is the tone we're going for. We are we are deliberately poking at this. Right. In a loving way, because you know, James Wan is a big aficionado of the horror fan of the horror, sure. you know, genre. The most successful horror director we have, modern horror director we have right now. That is probably true. Now that I think, I'd have to, I'd have to dig into it, but that's probably true. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a very much tongue-in-cheek movie about a lot of the tropes and stuff that goes along with that, and it's something that if you if you're not versed in again in the language then it you might miss it but mm -hmm. i just so to anyone out there who's not big into the uh, who's not you know deep into the horror subgenre or the horror genre there's a lot of stuff here that is deliberately comedic um there's a lot of stuff in here that is you know deliberately scary too i mean i mentioned a few scares you know here's the other thing gabriel is an appropriately menacing villain especially when he gets to talk like his mm -hmm. phone, his phone calls with Madison and whatnot. He is wonderfully, gleefully malicious. Yeah. Like you, you were my sister. I'm your flesh and blood. I'm literally a part of you. And you locked me away. And you built this whole life where you get to be happy. And you just, no, no, you lock me away in this dark prison at the back of your mind. Like I don't exist and screw you for you know, what you have for locking me away and you know, essentially killing me and pretending that I'm not real. I exist, damn it. 
like he exudes that when he gets to talk and God bless the voice actor for doing it because they do a good job. Uh, I think the last thing I want to say here, the fight scene in the jail, everything from Gabriel taking over the body to the time Gabriel exits the precinct. That's the best action sequence I've seen on film all year. I say I that cannot without, disagree with you. I say that straight like that. that this isn't me doing a bit. This is not me trying to poke at things. No, this that has been going, that. That is universal. That is what everyone has said. Like that, that it's the best directed action sequence in an action movie all year. It is easily better than anything F9 does. It doesn't have the same budget, but don't confuse budgetary expenditures with quality. It's a better prison break action sequence than the literal prison break action sequence that Black Widow put forward. <laughs> By a country <laughs> mile. And it's it's probably at least on par, if not better, than most of Shang Chi's action sequences. I yeah. that one that one would get a little there's a few in that movie that might get a little bit particular, but as a general rule, like it's well shot. It fl the action flows very well. Uh, it's it's coherent. It, everything follows a particular narrative through line. Everything makes <clears> sense <throat> to the degree that you never jump from a to lobster. Like I'll tell I'll tell you, it's I've never seen someone hold a camera so still and just capture the act action. It was like it is somebody filming a football game. It doesn't happen very often these days, and it's a crying shame because it's it's action is so much better when you can see what's going on. Yeah, no, everyone shoots action now like they've just strapped a camera to a galloping horse, you know. And yeah. this one was they 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 frame the shot and the camera just pans as the ghoul is slicing through these people, you know. And if the ghoul goes this way, the camera goes this way. The ghoul goes this way, the camera goes that way, and there's no jump cuts. And, you know, there's no shaky cam. It's just a framed shot, and you are just watching this ghoul cut through these cops like a hot knife through butter. And is the clarity on the only other thing that we that I can recall that we've watched this year that had anywhere near the clarity of the av action was Wrath of Man. Yeah, and I think this was better than that. Um, yeah, the the final like the high sequence at the end of Wrath of Man was very much in the same style. Mm. But I think I might. I mean, wh which one you prefer is largely down to whether you wa enjoy watching more realistic gunplay or this one was also better. This one was also better lit. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, especially with all of it relative to the Wrath of Man one. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's better lit. I'd agree with that. Uh, so I just want to give credit to Juan and the fight choreography and everyone who went into that. Like you guys knocked it out of the park in that particular sense. So. <laughs> Uh, look, this was what James Wan did. Like, James Wan made Aquaman. Yeah, and, he did. Which, you know, is a perfectly I, a perfectly suitable adventure movie most of the time. I, mean, I loved I had, it. I, call, I called it Flash Gordon Under the Sea. It was fucking fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, I hate Flash Gordon. But, uh, I, look, I took my issues with parts of Aquaman. But I think on the whole, I was positive. Mm -hmm. I'd have to double. I'd have to double check. I mean, again, there's stuff here and there that I kind of looked at and went, "Yeah." I mean, some of I the. Will tell, I will tell you. I will tell you the Fast and the Furious series peaked with Furious Seven. That's the one he directed. Uh, yeah, probably. 
I mean, I might argue it peaked with five, but that that might come down to preference. Mm, I think if, if we're going to define peaking as both creatively and financially combined, it's seven. Okay, if you want to, if if we are talking about uh, box office returns as well, then yes. So yeah, so James Wan, you know, he made Aquaman, and DC said we'd like you to make Aquaman too, and he went. I'm not saying no, but I'm not doing that next. And they went, here's a blank check. <laughs> you do whatever you want to do next and then come make Aquaman 2. And he said, sure. And he made Malignant. And Look, I, I would be inconsistent within my own universe and a hypocrite if I, if I took anything away from this. And, you know, so that being said, I'm glad he got to make his art. I, I appreciate when a filmmaker gleefully makes something that they themselves would enjoy that other people can enjoy too, uh, which would be a great segue into the money because there's a lot to talk about with this. Yeah. But before we do, Hey Robert, what did you think of the music in this movie? I Mark thought that the music can be found on Amazon music. Where Good answer. <laughs> you studied for this test. Um, we are giving away a free 30 days of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Um, Amazon Limit Music Unlimited gets you search for any album artist that you uh, that you like. You'll find almost all of them on Amazon Music. And then with the uh, with the free with the 30 with the unlimited, you can just like you would with Spotify or Apple Music. You can stream all of these. You can save playlists. You can do all kinds of fun things with it. You can um, be like, look, when Mark had to explain to his daughter what the Black Album was from Metallica, he right. could fire up Amazon Music and just search for it. I could say, hey, uh, play the Black Album by Metallica. I do that all the time. I do that at dinner. You know, we want dinner music when I don't have a mattress next to my dining table. Um, I can say, hey, Shmageggy, play Weezer, and it'll play Weezer, and we'll all eat broccoli Weezer. and dance. Um, so Weezer. go ahead. <laughs> but Weezer's so bad. GetAmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network. That's GetAmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network uh, to try a free 30 days of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. All right. And with that said, here comes the money. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. All right, so James Wan is a safe bet these days, and I, I want to talk about that because so so here is one of his more expensive pictures that isn't Aquaman or a Furious movie. Um, this one was made for forty million, and we'll talk about how well it's doing and why it's doing that well in just a second. But um, I want to go through his nine pictures that he's directed. His filmography is a lot longer than it seems because he's written and produced a lot of things, but. Um, Starting with Saw in 2004, that was made on a budget of a buck fifty. It was 1.2 million dollars. It made 103.9 million. That is like toast of the town. If you, <laughs> for the record, people, if you want to know why that franchise spawned nine sequels and a spinoff, it's not all of them have that level of return on investment, but right. almost none of them are money were money losers for Lionsgate. This is why also Hollywood churns out as many horror movies as it does because they're usually made for shoestring budgets, but they hit. And when they when you make something for cheap and it hits and it doesn't have to hit all that hard, some of them didn't hit this hard, some of them hit a lot harder. But when it hits, 
you make substantial i mean like i have heard um certain like studios like will basically fund all of their projects based on the success of a handful of horror movies like they you know some of their oscar baits and maybe some of their oh, more yeah. esoteric like you know ip and action movies will be because of the success of a series of cheaply made horror movies so you know especially this is a tried and true formula especially if you're talking about you know getting the rights to some property that people want to adapt i right. mean look Lionsgate was able to get the rights to the hunger games in no small part because the saw franchise propped them up for a couple of years and let them bank a lot and, and let them you know bank a lot of money Right. So um, the next two, not so much. They were both made for twenty million a piece, and they did not make um, any money. Uh, Dead Silence made twenty two point four, and Death Sentence made seventeen million. And then Insidious, and just I gotta run for a second, but just talk about this for a minute, Robert. One point five million made almost a hundred million dollars for Insidious. Yeah, Insidious was one of those that hit pretty big. Uh, I mean, if you haven't seen it, it, it was also his first collaboration with, um, oh, what's the guy's name? Why can't I remember it? Hang on, I will find that. Um, Patrick Wilson. And you know, Insidious also managed to spawn an entire franchise that spun off of it. Yeah, it, uh, it was a pretty significant financial windfall for, who did that? Uh, that was Sony. Sony Pictures. So it, it, you went from Insidious, and then after that, he made the Conjuring. Uh, the, the Conjuring just then a couple of years later, which was another okay enormous success. A enormous doesn't even begin to describe it. It was made on twenty million. It made almost three hundred and twenty million dollars. Like, <laughs> there's a reason for the record. See what what I said about Ins don't be don't be surprised about Insidious having spawned you know a franchise which it did ditto the conjuring. I mean, he, in the <laughs> same year he did the conjuring and then insidious chapter two. Right. And chapter two was not quite as successful as one. But it also didn't take as much money to make that made that only on a $5 million budget and it made $161 million. Yeah. This guy is still a license to print money. So then he makes the conjuring two and that's his most expensive movie to date. Well, hang on before that he does furious. Um, not, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, I missed the line. Um, he makes Furious Seven, which like ex, you know has an ex, ex, exponentially larger budget, almost two hundred million dollars, and it makes one point five billion. You know, <laughs> so at that point, it's like, all right, anything James Wan wants to do, we're going to let him do. Um, he makes another movie for forty million, and that makes three hundred and twenty. And then Aquaman comes out, and that's a two hundred million dollar movie, and that makes one point one billion. And it's the one the one of the most successful DCEU movies um since man of steel it's ridiculous how much money that made so you know as robert was saying when they're like okay we want you to make aquaman and he's like okay but i you know one for the business one for me right i want to go make my silly horror picture and they're like whatever what do you need what do you, you know i need 40 million dollars and, and they they're like, like sure here's your sure here's a small pittance of what we paid you in the profits from <laughs> from aquaman Right. It was like, it was like, whatever gets you, whatever gets the match in the ring, whatever gets you to direct Aquaman 2, you can have. And we're not going to interfere and you can make whatever stupid movie you want to make. Here's the thing. This movie is bombing. Okay. And it's bombing hard. How hard is it bombing? It's harming. It's, it's bombing this hard.
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> Robert asked me to put an exp to put a bombing sound in there, so I did. Um, but yeah, it's only made fourteen point seven million dollars. But and and this this is a part of the larger problem. If you what we've learned from the experiment in day and date releases is that pandemic or no pandemic, more people are choosing to watch things at home because society sucks and we hate each other than they than they do to go to the theater experience. People, like, I treasure the in-theater experience, and given a choice, I will go except for Halloween Kills because fuck you, Comcast. Um, but other than my stupid prejudices and, and, and you know, needing to revolt, um... There, you know, there are people brave enough to go to the theaters right now. There are th people that want to go, but clearly not enough to, given a choice to watching it at home or watching it in the theater, go out and brave society, even under I, ideal conditions, let alone a pandemic with a surge in variant in, in, in virus variants. I think the problem at the moment, and again, this is somewhat exacerbated by different levels of lockdowns and restrictions, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, there's, I mean, everywhere is theoretically open here in the United States, but, you know, that's only in theory. Different states have different needs and will, you know, shut down or, uh, as, they, as they deem necessary. Much like you, I enjoy the theatrical experience for the most part. Uh, so I am sad to see it kind of take a hit, but at the moment, I think what we're seeing is the death of the like mid-level mm -hmm. uh, movie. Right. We talked yeah. about this with with Shang Chi and I think some others. If you cr if you craft an event picture, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes when we get to the worldwide box office as an example of what event pictures look like. If you craft an in theater ex exclusive event picture, people will come. They will. You know, not everyone's like me and Robert and goes to the movies every single weekend. But people will show up for the occasional monthly event picture. Um, and so, and, but if you, but again, if you give them the opportunity to watch it at home, they will. And so look at how well F9 and Shang-Chi are doing, which are both in theater exclusive and are both event pictures versus Black Widow, Jungle Cruise, and now this. And those are various levels of, of kinds of pictures. But yeah. Look at James Wan's record. I refuse to believe, especially with the buzz this thing is getting as being bonkers, that in its second week this wouldn't have done better because more because word of mouth would have gotten out about it and more. I mean, like like it, like, like in the parallel universe where it's the same exact release dates, but everything's in theaters. It's big wide release that it's competing with is itself. It's it's another Warner Brothers picture, and, and it's the Clint Eastwood uh, Clint Eastwood Western Cry Macho. And there's like 106 other things coming out next weekend too, like the, the eyes of Tammy Faye and some other ones. I'll, I'll read them off later. My point is like next weekend's a bunch of really small pictures. This thing, other than battling it out with Shang-Chi, might have made shit tons of more money had people not had the option of watching for free on HBO Max. And, and I know what I'm going to say next is going to be hard for people to hear, but I think you need to hear it. HBO Max really, really made a dumb, dumb, dumb knee-jerk decision to include this in your subscription for HBO Max. They basically said our content is worthless. It's only worth signing up for this stupid service for. It's certainly not like Disney, which serves premium fare for an extra cost. So well, just gonna... unless you're Pixar. <laughs> yeah, unless you're Pixar, which apparently is also worthless. Um, but my point is like they signaled to the world their pictures aren't worth seeing in movies. 
And people said, we agree with you. And the conditions aren't great for us to go out, even if we didn't agree with you. So, like, I feel bad for James Wan, and I feel bad for this movie yeah. because it really deserves a, a strong theatrical push, and it's never going to get it because this is not an event picture. This, this is a silly horror movie that got buzz from Twitter. This movie should have settled in at a nice little, you know, $250 million total worldwide right. take. Like, like right. in an, if the world's operating normally, that's this is never going to break the bank. This is never going to make a billion dollars. But this no, is but never, but but never going to lose. Yeah, but this is never going to lose you money either. Is right, right. The, on forty million, this thing makes two hundred and fifty million. The, the the guys at Warner Brothers are going out for martinis and fucking sushi. Yeah, like like the, this should have been somewhere in that two hundred million dollar range, all things considered. Like, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's where this would have normally landed. Instead. It fucking tanked. It, it did. It, it's at the time of recording. It's at fourteen point seven. That's nothing. Nothing for a movie it, like this. This is not even going to hit its own budget. Like this is not even going to make forty. Yeah. So I, I don't mean, know. So I don't know what. I don't know if this is going to drive enough traffic to HBO Max to potentially offset any of that. But uh, it's a it's a real shame for this movie, like you said, because it's going to get a in. In the movie business, this is going to get a bad reputation that it does not deserve. Well, it's the movie in and of itself and its reputation is immaterial. James Wan's going to get a bit, going to get a, mar a black mark. On uh, his no, no one's going to care in two years when Aquaman 2 comes out. Okay, but that's a long two years to be James Wan right now. He's who, already shooting who, that. Like, there's my point. Okay, I'm not saying he's going to be hurting for work, but between now and then, because you know how people talk. That's true. Be between that's what's true. happening that's right true. now, all you're going to hear is James Wan made a look. Assholes on Twitter are right are making <laughs> just, retard assholes on Twitter are making videos about Shang Chi and how it's a flop and it's not. And we'll get to that in a moment. It's really not, you morons. Okay. Like reasonable people are going to call this a flop, and they'll be right. And it's going to be James Wan made a flop. James Wan doesn't have a perfect record anymore. James Wan uh, messed up. And it, this isn't his fault. He didn't yeah. make a bad movie in that sense. This is all on HBO, HBO Max. People should have had to pay money to see this no matter where they saw it. Like, I'm not against the day and date model when you had no idea how this... In the other parallel universe, nothing opens up. And we're all... And we're having intermittent lockdowns again. And we're doing in-home school, okay? Yeah. And in that world where HBO Max is like, we can't push Wonder Woman off another year. They made the right decision. They didn't make the right decision by not charging people extra for it. And I know people hear that and go, fuck you, Rattledge. I don't want to pay another $30 for a movie. I understand that, but businesses have to sell products to make money. Yeah, it, they they do. It's like, not that hard. If, if you don't buy tickets... <laughs> if you don't buy tickets to movies, they stop making movies. Duh. So yeah, I, I'm for the thing that makes the most business sense, even if it hurts me in the pocketbook personally. But I would have paid 30 bucks for this. And I don't know other people would have too. I don't know that I would have paid 30. You would have because we would have reviewed it. And I would have been have choice. I, I would have invoiced you the 30 bucks, yeah. Uh, okay. Send it to Ashish. Um don't tempt me. 
<laughs> why, why did you cover malignant for the site? Meh, defined site. Um, all right, let's get to the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend. Let me share my screen for those watching on the video. Yeah. All right, here we go. All right, the weekend for September 10th through the 12th. Um, Shang-Chi retained its number one spot. Um, again, Free Guy dropped from number three to number two. And oh, God, Malignant debuted at number three. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, um, really, really unfortunate. That's rough, man. <laughs> that is really rough. The two, the, the two, other than F9, the two best, the, mo the, the two most successful movies of this year are sitting at the top right now. Shang-Chi and Free Guy. Um, Candyman still making some decent amount of money. That dropped from two to four. Jungle Cruise, four to five. Paw Patrol, the last movie Paramount is releasing for this year after they wiped the slate clean with uh, Maverick. Paw Patrol. The last movie greenlit by the guy running Paramount who just got tossed out on his keister and somebody else is now taking over who's made this decision to be like, hey, maybe we don't want to make movies for theaters anymore. Maybe we only want to make movies for Paramount Plus. That guy. So Paw Patrol is making a decent amount of money. Dropped from five to six. Don't Breathe, six to seven. The Card Counter, which I've heard is not getting great reviews with Oscar Isaac. Uh, debuted at number eight. Show Me the Father at number nine. Respect, which is currently on VOD. Uh, dropped from seven to ten. After we Boy, fell, that, that, hang on, hang on. I, I need to say this about respect. Yeah, while well, you watched it. No. Oh. But a lot. Neither did anyone else. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Like that thing. Everyone looked at that and went, "Oh, yeah, that's bait." I, I, I've made this joke before. <laughs> they did a Mad Max from Fury Road. They looked at the movie that was dangling on the hook in front of them and went, "That's bait." Yeah. We're not taking that. <laughs> Take your Oscar bait elsewhere. After we fell, debuted at number 11, Suicide Squad, another bomb this year. Oh, uh, but no one talks about that because they like that one. Um, fell from 8 to 12. The Alpinist uh, debuted at number 13. Black Widow, 9 to 14. Old, That's 12 a, to 15. That is a, can we talk about 9 to 14 being a colossal drop for that poor movie? <laughs> well, it's also now on like Blu-ray. I'm, I'm aware that now it's not, <laughs> that doesn't matter anymore, but that's... Right. Like, that poor movie had just no week-to-week -week hold at any point. No, that sucked also. Um, True. The, the Night House fell from 10 to 16, The Protégé 11 to 17. Space Jam didn't wasn't even on record, looks like, last week, but it's at 18 this week. Okay. Uh, the Green Knight, 13 and 19. The Lost Leonardo, 1920. And Small Engine Repair debuted at 21. Language Lessons at 27. Dating in New York at 31. Azor at 37. Uh, worldwide, listen up, you, listen up, YouTube, listen up, Nerdrotic, listen up, Midnight's Edge, you assholes. Hi, Mom. <laughs> uh, at number one, still, still the number one movie all year long. Just I hope, hang on, I really hope that holds on and is number one at the close of the year. <laughs> you know what the number I, one movie of last year was? Demon Slayer. I remember, oh, yeah, that's true. So that, that, that'd be two years in a row that it'd be, it would not be a Hollywood film. Look, would... Endgame was like, Haha, look at my <laughs> enormous financial returns. And then the world for the next two years went. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Disney didn't care because. <laughs> sure. 
Um, Disney with the Fox purchase and the occasional Fox success is, is I am not worried about Disney. I'm also not worried about Universal. It's the rest of these that are, you know, Warner Brothers can't get its shit together. Paramount looks like it's about to go up for fucking sale at this point. MGM did, MGM did get sold. You know, and, and, the and love so of God, somebody buy Sony and stop <laughs> the abominations. Well, look, I, I've come to grips. I'm going to hate the movie, right? But I have come mm -hmm. to grips with Venom. Let there be carnage because the Chinese loved Venom. Sure. I still don't know who thought Jared Leto as Mobius was a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Like, I'm, you're just looking at the list of like Spider-Man IP that they currently own, and we're like, eh, this one. How about that one? Spider-Gwen? No. Fucking vampire. Yeah, Mobius. Good. Good uh, idea. Somebody, somebody else buy Sony, shelve those movies, and <laughs> save me. This is a personal plea to somebody <laughs> out there. Buy Sony, axe Venom 2, axe Mobius, be done with it. Save me, please. Okay. Uh, F9, currently the most successful Hollywood movie of the year at $714 million. You know, what, what's hilarious and ironic about F9 is that it is, by any metric, a successful movie. It's one that Universal Comcast executive should be dining out and eating sushi and drinking expensive wine, just patting themselves on the back. But they're not because it didn't make over a billion. It It, it is beneath projections and even in a pandemic they're like okay it still did good it, it's the best it's the most successful movie of the pandemic by a country mile but pandemic schmandemic this thing was supposed to still make a billion dollars and it was like well sit on it another year or take you the know, loss I, it's I, it's it's like batman v superman it's like this thing made 800 million dollars yeah but it's still a loss like that's it, it insane it made eight hundred million dollars. Yeah, but you had a two hundred million dollar budget. And, well, sorry, no, not that one. What was the one that really needed a billion and didn't? Batman v Superman. Well, Batman v Superman was one of them, but that one also like got close enough. What was the? No, I not really. That thing had that, that thing in order to be profitable had to make over a billion. That was the yeah, story. All right. It it did between like because it had the giant budget and then the huge advertising push that was right. behind it. And well, not to mention it was like premier IP. You had you had basically the two biggest sellers outside of Scooby Doo, <laughs> Warner Brothers, and they couldn't get to a billion in the same movie. And, um, and now you've got F nine, and you can't unseat Hi Mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. China likes their own shit. What can we say? Uh, and then look, just for the record. That means don't make F10 is what this means. It's don't hard. do it. Yeah. Good. Okay. You you put that in the world so you would see how you do. Detective oh, I know, Chinatown. I, I'm not under any delusions about this. <laughs> Detective Chinatown's at number three. Godzilla at number four. None of none of that's moved at all. Black Widow is holding steady at five with 372 million. Um, if you want to call something a bomb, that was a bomb. That didn't make yeah. it. Yeah. We talked about that last week. This is on this was on that list of eight that couldn't get to double its own budget. Yeah, Black Widow, man. That I mean, even if you throw in the premier access money, which we don't have the figures on it, we don't know how well it's doing, but by any by any reasonable metric for what it for, for between projections and even adjusted projections due to the pandemic, Black Widow bombed. It was not it, this was Marvel's first big time I, failure. I have a really hard time imagining that the that the premier access would be enough to push it over the 500 to 600 million dollar mark. Yeah. Like that, I don't know. that's what, that's what this thing, like that, that we've said that for a while, like Marvel's if Marvel, if a Marvel movie is going to be considered a failure, 
financially. Right. It needs to fall below the, you know, especially like the standalone features. If they make mm-hmm. less than 600 million, that's your kind of problem zone. And right. I, again, I have a hard time imagining there is literally like double the theatrical take in premier access for Black Widow. Uh, a Quiet Place Part 2, um, that made almost 300 million and that's that's been successful. Free Guy is almost at 300 million. Uh, I got to look back at the budget on that again. I know it's right now it's not profitable, but it's it's, no, you, they, it's they I, spent I think it's doing, a lot of money on that. I think it's doing better than adjusted projections for the pandemic. So that's a win for Disney even if it's not profitable. It's still like, well, it's still one of the it's 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 still one of the most highly regarded and best financial movies of the year not counting F9. We'll take it. Shang-Chi, I would like to repeat again, is not a failure. It's not a flop. It's currently at 258 million. It's the number one movie of the weekend, second week in a row. It'll be number one this weekend too. Calm the fuck down, you racist. Um, speaking of racist, Cruella holding steady at 222 million. That's another bomb. That's oh man, Disney. Disney really had a did not have a good year. <laughs> well, nobody did. Um, again, poor Paramount. Um, the Conjuring again, rounding up the top ten, uh, made two hundred and one million. I don't remember if that was successful or not. I think that had a small budget, but who knows? It's probably fine. Um, all right. This weekend we have a lot of limited releases. I think the only wide release is something I haven't even seen a trailer for yet. It's called Cop Shop with Frank Grillo. Oh, I um, saw the trailer for that. That actually looks funny. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah, it's an open road films. It has it has no promotional budget. No one knows what this is, but it's in wide release. So if you're going to the movies and you're like, "What's new that I haven't seen yet?" That'll be there. In li- um, the the most prominent limited release of the weekend is Cry Macho, which is day and date on HBO Max, which means no one's going to go see this thing in the theater. Um, yeah, there. That the- yeah, this is another one that's going to be hard done by that deal. Yeah, that I mean. That's why, you know, we're, we, we're reviewing it, and had I known it was going to be an in-theater thing, I would have just done a Damn You Hollywood on it, but I suggested we do it as a triple feature because I figured it was it was like no sudden move. It was just going to go straight to HBO Max, no fuss, no muss. When I saw it was going to be in theaters, even limited, I was like, what the? Who thought that was a good idea? Like, who do you think is going to pay money to see this? I have They're not paying no money idea. to see fucking Malignant. They're not paying money to see that. I'll tell you that right now. The number of people that either already have HBO Max or are probably going to do a month subscription, mm-hmm. you know, that, that might just, you know, decide that that's a better way to go. Uh, yeah, it's I'm looking forward to talking about it. We're going to be talking about it next week as part of a triple feature, along with uh, Idris Elba's Concrete Cowboy on Netflix. And from a few years ago, the Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges movie, uh, Hell or High Water. Yeah. Um, the other big one, I mean, there's a lot on this weekend, but the other big one that people might actually venture to the theater to see, uh, I know I'm going to take my wife to it, just not this weekend because we'll be in Pensacola, is The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is sure to be an Oscar contender. And honestly, it was it, I, I really thought about putting this on the schedule, but I know that this is not really your thing, so I skipped it. But it is like bombshell and, you know, and worth, and it's just, it, you know, these, these uh, dra- history drama type movies about political and religious political figures are my bag. And this has got a stellar cast. Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye, Andrew Garfield as Jim Baker, Vincent D'Onofrio, who we all love, Terry Jones. This is a searchlight picture, so this is yet another Disney thing. Yeah, this um, is, uh, 
that's pr- I mean, like you said, that's a great cast. That's probably going to want it's a little bit Oscar Beatty, mm-hmm. but no, not necessarily a lot Oscar Beatty. Not necessarily in the bad way. You know, no. like, um, we've just reached a point in film right now, sadly, where <laughs> you know you either make shit like F nine or you make something small like the eyes of Tammy Faye, and everyone just has to kind of try and figure out whether or not they want to be in the worst thing in the world but get a decent paycheck, or right. be in something that is good and you know have to pay for the privilege. The rest of these are 23 Walks, The Duke, The Nowhere Inn, The Little Girl, excuse me, Blue Bayou, Ghost in the Shell, which is back in theaters. It's a it's an anniversary or something like that. Best sellers and collection. Um, so yeah, Shang-Chi will be the number one weekend three weeks in a row. Um, but here's the question I have for you, good sir. We have one more weekend to close out the month, and the only thing in wide release for the weekend of September 24th is Dear Evan Hansen. Typically, typically in the modern, hang on, let me set this up. Typically in the modern era, you do not get a movie that four peats. It doesn't take the whole month to itself. By by week four, whatever's in the theater will unseat it just because of drops in attendance for that particular motion picture. However, when your only leading contender in the entire week for that weekend is Dear Evan Hansen, does Dear Evan Hansen do the impossible and unseat Shang-Chi as the number one movie of the weekend. And I'm going to throw this caveat at you. If Dear Evan Hansen somehow reached my daughter, don't you think it would have reached other kids? And will that be enough to drag, you know, to will other kids like mine is drag their parents to take him to see Dear Evan Hansen enough, enough to knock Shang-Chi into the second place spot? Or will it four-peat? Four. I have no idea. And here's the problem with this, with me trying to figure this out. Like you said, you're dealing with a movie that's now been out for so long. If anyone's going to see it, they've seen it. And I doubt anyone wants to see it a second time that many times or that much later into its run. On the other hand, your musical drama about a guy, about a high schooler who commits suicide and his disturbed sort of friend gaining into like i've seen the dark comedy version of this movie mm-hmm. it stars robin williams it's called world's greatest dad okay and if you're into very dark humor that's hilarious <laughs> i mean don't get me wrong like some parts of it are deliberately not hilarious and are genuinely heartbreaking but you know, robin williams's gift was such that he could do both of those in the same film but if you're if you're just trying to do a musical like is this based on something i feel like this is based on something like there's no way i'd have to i'd have to look um uh, yeah i i would say you are correct about that look <clears throat> i'm gonna make a bold statement i'm gonna make a bold statement here and we can talk about it when we talk about the money the following week when we when we review venom um which i'm sure will be much to the delight of both jason and alexis who absolutely love this segment <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Dear Evan Hansen is the number one movie of that weekend just because I think Shang-Chi is going to have a significant drop that if anyone sees anything it'll be Dear Evan Hansen and that'll be just enough I I imagine you're probably correct I'm just going to say it again though 
a musical drama about a teenage boy whose acquaintance commits suicide but had stolen one of his self-therapy letters, one of his therapeutic letters to himself, and his parents now think that they were friends. Like, now you're just lying to this grieving family about your relationship with their disturbed and now tragically deceased son. I don't get this. Like, this is... (laughs) This is so... No... So real quick, um, and and this this really fits better in the next couple of podcasts that we do, but I just kind of want to go over October just really, really, really quick. So the number one movie of October of the weekend of October first will be Venom two. Venom, um, the reviews are coming out now from the people who saw it early release, and even if you solve for inflated reviews because of early access, it's uh, it seems like it's going to do okay. There's a lot of buzz on it. Tickets are already on sale. I think Ven- Venom, t- other, the other, you know, the other, the other choices you've got are the Adams Family too, and the Many Saints of Newark would stay in date. So Venom Two is going to win that weekend. Yeah, but look, then Venom Two should take that. Look, anyone who's reviewing it this early is a shill. Like they're not the, anyone you can trust. Then you've got No Time to Die, and then the following week is both Halloween, which is now day and date on Peacock, and The Last Duel, which is getting terrible reviews. Um, so uh, No Time to Le- Die has. No Time to Die has the has an has a chance of being of holding on to the number one spot for a second week, but then Dune comes out. That is the end of No Time to Die's run. Dune's gonna well, unseat that. Isn't Dune day and date? Yeah, uh, but that's also the third week of No Time to Die. You don't think Dune I, beats it? I think it. By the time we get to the third week, it might. But I think that's going to be pretty close. Um, and then nothing. And then Antlers and Last Night in Soho come out on the 29th, and I don't see, I don't see either one of those beating Dune or No Time to Die. Um, Maybe Last uh, Night in Soho, but I doubt eh, it. No, it's too. I I don't think that's the. It's not the kind of movie that's really going to do that. I think. And then um, November 5th is The Eternals. So you know, it's it's a Which cra- will, <laughs> October look, is so t- fucking crowded. Well, let me call it. Let me call it. Eternals does not win its weekend. Fuck off. <laughs> fuck the fuck right off, Chris Bailey. All I, right. ju- I just wanted to poke you about that to amuse yeah, yeah. myself. I'll tell you what. I take it all back. I said a nasty thing, and I'm sorry. You're right. Spencer will win that weekend. <laughs> I think No Time to Die makes a resurgence. I got your resurgence down here. All there right. Spe- speaking of which... Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right, for you listeners, if you've been listening this long, we thank you. For you listeners of the Damn You Hollywood podcast on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network brought to you by W2M, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help you help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps write mistake for you on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. So, for example, if you're on Apple Podcasts and you happen to see the reviews and you just see the one that says, what the heck, and you're like, I think they deserve a better review than what the heck. You can use Grammarly to write your review of what you think of our podcast. Um, 
We'd appreciate Grammarly, it. We certainly would. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also contextual, contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. And as I said, this next segment uh, where we review the reviewers and uh, currently, actually, let me share my page. Fucking video. Remember the old good old days where I didn't have to do this? No. <laughs> Time is a flat circle. Um, all right. You know, are we, re we really going to pretend that at certain points when we were doing this audio only, you didn't have to stop and curse repeatedly while looking something up? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> it was always like this. <laughs> all right um so the critics loved it it's at 77 percent. not as much as they love shang chi but still it's still, it's still fresh the audience is less enthusiastic about it that's at 51 it's, it's i wonder i'm not gonna call i'm not gonna say this got review bombed because i don't think no. it's accurate but i genuinely wonder you know how many people kind of scrolled by this watched a little bit and went oh this is weird and then just and you're always more likely to say something negative than positive. What would drive you to Rotten Tomatoes, though, to go out of your way to negatively review this if you only gave it a scant view? That, that doesn't Mark. make any sense to me. I, makes yes. Perfect, makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. I, you and I know how people are. Fair enough. Um, the critics say, although Malignant isn't particularly scary, director James Wan returned to the horror genre contains plenty of gory thrills and a memorable bonkers twist. There's that word again. The audience says, love it or hate it, and there isn't much in between. Malignant is one horror movie that takes risks and is willing to get weird. I will say, hang on, I will say I agree with that sentiment. There is not a lot of in-between space on this movie. No, this is the very definition of polarizing. Yeah. Matt, speaking of polarizing, Matt Conway, Battle Royale with cheese. I got your cheese. Like a lost relic from a bygone time, Malignant feels timeless in its bold recontextualization of the horror influences. Uh, I I appreciate what this gentleman is trying to say, but I don't I don't necessarily think this recontextualizes anything so much as riffs on it. That's not the same thing. Walter Chaw, Freak uh, Film Freak Central, <clears throat> in a field. Of films carefully measured and screen tested to a lumpen gray sameness. Malignant pulls no punches. You know, I, I do think we need to mention, you, you and I both mentioned something along these lines that needs to be said again. Given just how much of contemporary filmmaking, especially wide release filmmaking, is focus grouped and screen tested and neutered, uninteresting, bland to the nth degree kind yeah. of stuff seeing something like this was a very pleasurable shock to my system like yeah. we went from last week shang chi which <laughs> hey, hang on i i'm not gonna say i said my piece about that movie i only bring it up to say this shang chi follows the marvel checklist to a t right yep there's there's things they do in that movie that you and I both enjoyed. We spoke positively about a lot of it. Go listen to our review if you think I'm lying. But it's the checklist. Going from the checklist to this. <laughs> yep. Like, 
the, the difference was stark, and I appreciate that. Yeah, we got this is this is this is quite the cinematic whiplash from one week to the next. Yes, in a good uh, way. Tom Jorgensen of IGN Movies. Malignant is a conflicted miscalculation, bursting at the seams with ideas it never develops to a satisfying degree. This is a guy who misses the point. All right, Sean Collier, desperately seeking of the Pittsburgh Magazine, desperately seeking to get on the the box. No, wait, he's not desperately getting the the box. The next no. guy will be. Yeah. This one he just this one he just gives an unhelpful review. It's certainly different. Yeah, that is that is profoundly unhelpful. <laughs> but then again, you write for a Pittsburgh publication. I imagine unhelpful is the name of the game. All right, Mel Valent Mel Valentine Tyne Tun of Screen Anarchy, desperately trying to get on, get invited to parties, and get on the review box. See Malignant, then see it again. Chances are you won't regret it. Do you work, fucking work for Time Warner, asshole? No, because they would fire him for writing copy this bad. <laughs> Lauren. Also, that's not helpful. <laughs> no. Lauren Humphreys Brooks, Citizen Dame. <laughs> I No, 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 no. Don't even read it. Don't even read it. That's a dame. That deserves nothing but our laughing at that title and then moving on. Don't dignify this person or that presentation. I, I will snort with general derision. <sighs> yes. I will join you in that and then we will move on. <laughs> um. All right. Uh. Let's see. Uh, Frank Switek of One Guy's Opinion. A particularly sick joke dressed up in a pseudoscientific gobbledygook and a lurid horror movie conventions. Now you're just trying to badly describe the plot. Like, that's not, one, not a terribly helpful review. Mostly because you dress it up with almost purple prose to suit your desperate need to consider yourself a writer rather than someone writing for a website called One Guy's Opinion. Well, Dennis Schwartz of Dennis Schwartz Movie Reviews. Eh? Self-employed bastard. There it is. There's my song. <laughs> Too much silliness for me to take seriously without going a little crazy myself. You know, You're not supposed <laughs> to take it seriously, you well, who moron! who cares about that? It's like... I, no one gives a shit. This is the I hear this on critically acclaimed all the time that like that reviewers should give you an element of their personal preferences, and I'm like I don't know. I mean we're not professional reviewers, and even we kind of keep less of we keep more of that out of our reviews than a lot of professional reviewers do. And I'm like maybe I just don't understand criticism, oh, but I always on. thought criticism should be objective, not chock full of your stupid opinions and that's it criticism should be as objective as possible now right. there's there's an there is a degree to which you can't extract yourself from the review like the, sure. the question is just trying to be fair about it we just have an entire generation of morons <laughs> who look how many times do i have to say this about most of these people they're not film people they're failed political bloggers no, some of them are. Some of the some of these people are just bloggers who think, and this is the fight that we get into with our own crew of people. No, no, no insult intended, but there is a difference between I, I like it and it's good, and too often those two things get conflated, and they think one thing means the other, and then you get into arguments with people about it. You know, like we're too negative. You know, we, you know, I liked it, and so what's wrong with it? And like, like, fuck it, I don't care if you liked it or not. Go like all the stuff you like. 
watch all the porn and snuff movies and fucking cartoons. I don't give a shit. I'm not taking okay, any, of the, any, any of it away from you. you. You can't ethically defend snuff. I mean, I'm not going to stop people <laughs> from watching it. That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to take that away from them. But my point being, like, I'm here to deconstruct the film. And, you know, we also we often talk about the craft. I'm here to deconstruct the film and tell you what's wrong with the process of making this film from the beginning to end. That's why I'm here. The yeah. fact that I like or dislike the movie is sort of immaterial. I will bring it up just because people yeah. will like, will you please tell me if you like this movie or not? I need to know. I won't be able to go to bed unless I know if you like the movie. And that's fine. But for the rest of the hour and 15 minutes we're going to talk about, or two hours, let's not get ourselves, that we're going to talk about this, I'm deconstructing it. I am deconstructing it from the filmmaking perspective, the financial perspective, and then from other people's critical analysis, which tends to be, I like it, it's good. Yeah, look, we're dealing with a... Let me say this again. We're dealing with a generation of film critics who are not film people, who are... again. The, the, some of them are just straight up failed. They'd rather write about politics, and when they realize that no one cares, they say, <laughs> well, I can write about film, and then just shoehorn in their worldview unnecessarily. And we're dealing with a generation of people who... Let me state the following. I'm aware that you, there's, an, there's a debate to be had about how much criticism falls under the subheading of journalism. So let me, let me, hang on, let me start with this. I'm aware there's a debate there. Okay, let me start with that. To the extent that it falls under journalism, we also have a generation of morons who equate journalism with activism, which right. is a horribly dangerous thing. <laughs> The other, the other group of people that we often see here, and that's going to segue into our next review that I'm going to read, and then we, we got to do a few more of these, and I'm done. Um, I don't want to go over two hours. Um, but there's a, there's definitely a bunch of people who wanted to be professional writers, and the only gig they could, not even political, just wanted to yeah, write yeah. fiction, whatever. They wanted to write something and be paid for it, and the only gig they could get was fucking reviewing movies. Enter Rebecca Murray of that's Showbiz something. Junkies. For the record, as someone who would like very much to be paid for my writing, I empathize with you morons, but have a little dignity. It's a dollop. A dollop, Robert Winfrey, of gory goofiness in a side dish minus the main course. <sighs> you painfully... <laughs> you, you feel good about stretching that metaphor? Like <laughs> I, Someone must have started a diet. Because there's no other, <laughs> there's no other reason to reach for that metaphor like that. There just uh, isn't, other than you, I'm, a hungry person. I'm sore. She farted hard after that. Smelled it. And it was like wonderful. I'm magnificent. Speaking of which, here's your dad, Roger Moore of Movie Nation. It's utter nonsense until that moment. It isn't. Okay, and that damned monstrosity that it was up until now abruptly becomes even worse. I don't know why you don't retire, dude. Just fucking leave Movie Nation already. You don't want to be doing this anymore. Can I tell you something? Just uh, by the by, we haven't mentioned this gentleman in a while, but I saw I saw a uh, I was watching a documentary. Yeah. About the guy who directed Rocky, uh, John G. Avildsen, who also directed the first two Karate Kid movies. Okay. Uh, one of the critics they actually they actually had a brief Talking Head segment with Leonard Malton. Mm-hmm. Who is not old? Like I, I looked at him. They had the little caption. There's Leonard Malton, film critic and historian, which I think is probably a fair title for him. Sure. And I looked at this guy and I went, 
You look like every 30-something, like early 20, like mid to late 20s dude bro I would like to punch in the face. And I've read enough of your work to have an entirely different reason to want to punch you in the face. He just, he did not look at all like my the picture I had of him in my head. James Vernier, who doesn't like anything, because I read his stuff a lot too, of the Boston Herald. Mulligan is terrible. Wallace screams become laughable. The acting is appalling. When in doubt, Juan, co-creator of the Saw franchise, up the ante on the gore, stay away. Again, sir, you... This movie is Im almost impossible to review fairly if you are not, well, at least somewhat literate in the horror genre. That's where you get professional reviewers like that jackass going, this is terrible. It's overacting. Dickhead, it's supposed to be overacted. This is deliberate. You can't watch Juan's filmography and look at this and go, he's a poor filmmaker. Like, no, he knows what he's doing. The choices made here are intentional. All right. I want to remind people that James Wan made Saw before I read this last one. And this is going to be the last one we're going to do. All but right. James Wan made Saw, which was about Rue Gobar machines dismembering people. Wasn't even the first saw is not even about that. I mean, I know what it's about, about, but I mean that's that's the that's the hook, that's the gimmick. Okay, so when people talk about tonal compasses, remember this guy starts a movie in the bathroom from Desperado and a Rube Goldbar machine. You you start he starts a movie in there with two guys chained to the wall by their ankles, and they're given hacksaws. The implication being the only way out is to cut your own foot off. Okay, remember that when I read this. Please. Warren Cantrell of The Playlist. Watching Malignant, one gets the sense that working on Aquaman seems to have broken James Wan's tonal compass. You, sir, know nothing. <laughs> like, did, what? <laughs> How do you not see this man's work before? There's no way you can come to that conclusion and not have seen Saw. Moreover, just very, uh, for the record... It's not a. This movie bounces all over the place because you're clearly not getting the intended humor. And as such, you think it is all over the place. It's not. It's meant to be a little bit tongue in cheek throughout the entire process. Failure to get that will result in a very poor viewing experience. But if the guy made Aquaman and then decided he wanted to make something that was crazy, that doesn't mean he's been. Something about him is broken. It means I spent the last however long of my. however much time I invested with a $200 million budget and studio executives breathing down the back of my neck because they're giving me the gross domestic, the GDP of a South American country, a smaller South American country. Hey, Venezuela. Here, here, here. This is what Venezuela would make in six months for their net, for their entire nation. Here's, here you go, James Wan. We could try to bail out Venezuela or we can have Aquaman. And I want you to feel the pressure of having $200 million and having to balance the egos of Jason Momoa and Nicole Kidman and Amber Heard and then all the crap that came out of and the public pressure related to her potentially abusing her spouse. And I'm not here to weigh in on that. I don't know enough of the evidence to make a claim based on whether or not she or Johnny Depp is the crazier one. And frankly, who gives a crap? They both, they're both, they're actors. Most actors are terrible people. Most, not all, most. 
And he decided to let off a little steam creatively. And he did so with this. And then he went right back to making Aquaman 2. If Aquaman 2 has a big problem, we can discuss it then. But any director who goes from a big studio production, you need something. You have, like, there's very few directors who are designed, who have the internal makeup to just make big budget studio movie after big budget studio movie after you know, dealing with the production notes and juggling the egos of the actors and the shooting schedules and the technology and the rewrites and the Twitter storms and the constant, constant, constant bitching of the fanboys. Like you have to be made of something special inside to do what the Russo brothers do. Right. Like right. you've got to be, you've got to be something special. And if you're James Wan, you make one of those and you go, you know what? I'm willing to take the paycheck to do a second, but I need to breathe. Yeah. I so need to go six months. I need to make, I need to make one for myself now that that's not an, that's not an example of him being broken. The man makes fucking horror movies for a living. This is fine. All right. Um, like, comment, subscribe, wherever you found this. If this is not where you want to continue to listen to us, and after two hours of us, you're like, I'd like to hear more of what you... I'd like to sign up for your newsletter. Click the link in the description to our link tree. It'll bring you to the W2M page, the YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever it is you can listen to a podcast. We're on it. We have been around forever. Our RSS feed is far and wide. It is as wide as humanly possible. So there isn't a place on Earth you can't listen to us. Uh, so click the link and pick the one of your choice. Uh, please subscribe. You'll get all the shows, not just all of the ones that I do, but all of the re-airs from our old feed, plus all of the stuff from um, soccer and football and wrestling and anime that go up. We we There are every show, every day there's a new show, and most days there are more than one. You don't have to listen to them all. You can delete the ones you don't like, but you'll never know what you're missing unless you subscribe. So I'm really encouraging people please subscribe wherever it is you want to listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or somewhere else. Uh, and we would greatly appreciate it for specifically, as we mentioned before, if you're on Apple, um, please, not only would we like you to subscribe, please leave a comment. I don't care what it is. Could be Jimmy crack corn. And I don't care. Could be the recipe for rabbit stew. Anything to get a what? In fact, if you have a good recipe for rabbit stew, please leave it. Yeah, that's fine. Um, anything you want, whatever. Uh, just anything to get the what the heck thing off of off of Apple Apple Podcast for us. It has been there since before I got here. I want it gone. That's all I ask. Now someone's gonna be like, "What the heck?" Too, but I even that would at least make me laugh. Um, but we would, you know, we would love to have some interaction. We would love to think, you know, what people think. Um, if you're on TikTok, I'm uh, Mark Rattledge on TikTok. I'm at Mark Rattledge on Twitter. There's a Rattledge and Broadcasting Facebook page. There's my own personal Facebook page. is Mark Rattledge, LCSW. Um, if you interact with us, I will respond. If you're asking for an interview or for me to look at your own stupid project, I'm going to ignore you. But anyone else, if you just want to talk about films or you have comments about the podcast, I'm more than happy to engage. Uh, this week, we've got a review coming up of the Metallica Blacklist, uh, selections from it at the very least. And then Gavin Napier, who has not podcasted in a dog's age, formerly of the Casual Heroes, will be on the talk Ted Lasso. You can also check out, we just had a, a slew of comics drop. We had Why the Last Man, which dropped. Um, Jesse did that a bunch of years ago. That re-aired uh, to coincide with the Why the Last Man debut on Hulu. 
um, on FX on Hulu. We also had the the very last source syndicated source material that Jesse uh, edited together that focused on Savage Dragon issue number one. And then we have some new source materials for you. This was him and Cole Marantet talking Transformers meets Back to the Future because who didn't want that crossover? All right, Robert. I mean, that is... Come on, you're going to tell me that's not something you could sell? <laughs> oh, it, obviously. Um, you, so, would, you, my friend, would watch the crap out of that. Uh, for those, Lastly, for those of you who like the band Clutch, uh, this weekend we'll have some re-airs of my old Clutch things. We have um, a re-airing of our Clutch retrospective, 1993 to 2009, right before the, uh, Earth Rocker came out, and then the aforementioned Earth Rocker review the next day. So look for that along with what we've already got in the bank, such as the Book of Bad Decisions, Weathermaker Volume 1, and, <clears throat> and our reviews of their streaming live uh, concerts, uh, Doom Saloon 2 and Doom Saloon 3. All right, do your plugs and let's get out of here. Um, first of all, to whoever is responsible for naming new talents in the revamped NXT, you suck. <laughs> okay, enough about Rex Breaker. Go. <laughs> no, no, no. Braun Breaker with 2K. <laughs> okay, please, please move this on. I'm not kidding. <laughs> His name is Braun, B-R-O-N, Breaker, B-R-E-K-K. Did they have to talk Kevin Dunn out of the third K? You know. <laughs> All right, come on, man. We're over two hours now. <laughs> Sorry, I just I saw that name and my brain short-circuited for a second. <laughs> Uh, last week, we all got together, and over here on the Rattle on Damn You Hollywood, we talked Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, so you can listen to us yell at morons trying to drum up the cottage industry. Uh, I don't under Like, look, I'm a negative person, by and large, right? There's no getting around that. <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm not so divorced from reality that I'm that even I would try to pretend that Shang-Chi is some kind of flop. So we yelled at those people last week. They were calling it a flop before it even finished the fucking weekend. It was like yeah, Friday afternoon. Those videos were coming out. Yeah. like ugh. So we yelled at those people. Mm -hmm. Mark did more yelling than I did on that one, which was a yeah. nice change of pace. <laughs> uh, let's see last week, anything else? The comic strip for ghost world, uh, the 13 hours on trial. Uh, later this week, Mark mentioned the blacklist Metallica that's going to come out tomorrow to just do your plugs. I, we're yeah, good yeah. on my schedule. Next week, there will be the, uh, triple feature that Mark and I will be doing in place of a damn you Hollywood featuring Clint Eastwood's cry macho, uh, the Idris Elba movie concrete cowboys, which is on Netflix. And from a few years ago, uh, Tyler Sheridan's, uh, Taylor. I can't remember if it's Taylor or Tyler off the top of my head, but his Hell or High Water movie, uh, he mostly wrote it, I forget who directed it, uh, which was the first time I saw Chris Pine actually act, and it legitimately blew me away. Like, this guy just did a bad Captain Kirk impression to superstardom. Then he did this movie and absolutely vanished into the role. It was amazing. So we'll be talking about that next week. Uh, you can find me over mostly at 411mania.com. I provide uh, live coverage for UFC events on Saturdays. There was none this last Saturday, so got to enjoy my weekend off. And I left you alone. You did. It was odd. 
<laughs> I can't even remember what I did. I did something with my dad. I don't remember what. Uh, but this coming week, there will be UFC on ESPN plus 50, which is a nothing card, but I'll be covering it. I also cover professional wrestling a few days a week. AW's Dark Elevation, their YouTube show, one of their YouTube shows. On Mondays, uh, if MLW does something on Wednesdays, I cover that. And I cover WWE SmackDown on Fridays. That's over in the wrestling zone of 411 Mania. So if you're interested in professional wrestling and my take on it, I suppose, go over there and check it out. This week, a lot of that. Um, oh, last week I covered Dynamite, too. I got a last-minute call-up to cover AEW's Dynamite on Wednesday, which was something. <laughs> the one time in my life I, sl- I probably overrate a match, and that's the one everyone decides to complain about me overrating. <laughs> Given how much I underrate stuff, according to most of you people, you ought to just be happy it's starting to balance out. So you can find my coverage of any of those in those particular places. And I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast on Sundays. This last week, we previewed UFC on ESPN Plus plus 50 and talked a bit of news. Kyoji Horiguchi signing with Bellator. uh, Gable Stevenson signing with WWE. And Alex Pereja, the former glory champion and only man to have knocked out Israel Adesanya, making his way over to the UFC. So we talk about those things and have a good time. This week, <clears throat> it will be a review of UFC on ESPN Plus 50, and more importantly, a preview of UFC 266, featuring two title fights, the featherweight fight, the featherweight title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega, and Valentina Shevchenko killing a pig hostage. <laughs> but more importantly, Mark, I know you're going to buy this pay-per-view. No, the fuck I'm not. You want to know how I know you're going to buy this pay-per-view? No, the fuck I'm not, but go ahead. Because the featured fight is a rematch between Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler. Okay, let me tell you why I'm not going to buy that pay-per-view. <laughs> All right. It's the, it's the same day as Joshua versus Usyk, which I'm already not going to be home for because I'm taking my wife on a date to go see Tammy Faye, the eyes of Tammy Faye. So when I get home from my date, she finally leaves me alone. If she does, she may not. But if I have any... <laughs> time to myself on that day i will be watching joshua versus Usyk. okay fair enough that said you know that you're very much interested in a rematch of a 17 year old fight between nick diaz and robbie lawler (laughs) i would much rather see fucking jake paul fight nick diaz no you wouldn't (laughs) all right can we go now and also at this point i'm not sure that robbie that it would look all that different robbie lawler is pretty shot and nick diaz hasn't had a fight in like eight years you got eight i'd have to double check but so if you can so if you're interested in mma you can find that particular podcast wherever you're listening to this one in all probability and if so i'd appreciate your support if you're able and willing to give it that's gonna wrap us up here so on behalf of mark radlich he is right over there he's a happy man We will be back uh, next week for the triple feature. Until then, I'm Robert. Thank you all very much as usual for your support. Continue to be well, be safe, and behave.